impacts them every day. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Modern Man Podcast, where we connect men in pursuit of their potential. Join us as we embrace discomfort, cultivate community, and put wind in each other's sails. And if you are ready to take your personal and professional growth to the next level, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast to get a new episode each and every single week. Also, don't forget Mm -hmm. to check out the Noble Knights Mastermind Group, where you'll find the support, accountability, and mentorship you need to achieve your goals. And join us and become a part of a community of like-minded men on a mission to improve themselves and elevate their capacity for life. I'm excited to get some wind in our sails today from my guest coming out of South Africa, product designer and advocate for revised learning, Alfie Olo on the podcast. Alfie, man, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, it's it's such a pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very excited to chat to you. Yeah, absolutely. And just before we jump into our conversation, I love making sure that the guest has the ability to introduce themselves in their own words and Mm -hmm. address the audience directly. So I'm going to step out of the way and and let you talk to the audience really quick and introduce who you are and kind of what you do before we chat. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to keep it very brief because I think my story pretty much explains a lot of what I do and kind of elaborates on how I ended up where I am. But I'd say I am a product designer by trade. That is what I do during the day when everyone can see me. But at night, I'm a huge enthusiast in mentorship, but specifically um, using it as a methodology for learning. And one of the reasons for that is because the only reason I was able to make the life that I have for myself and to enter the space that I'm in now was because of um, some very turnkey mentors along my journey. And so I think pretty much since then, I've been working at paying it forward. And that's what's brought me here in front of you today. I love that. I love that. And I've I've had someone tell me a long time ago, someone who's poured into my life as a mentor helped me so much. And I remember telling them, I, was, I don't know how to repay what you've done for me. And they told me, they said, Ted, a lot of times in life, you don't get to bless the people back that blessed you. So what you can mm. do is by helping me is bless it forward, pay it forward, right? Pour exactly. into somebody else. And I love that you're doing that. And, mm. um, and I, I know, you mentioned kind of that mentorship being helpful. I'd love to start there, right? Because a lot mm-hmm. of guys listening right now might be stuck where they are in life or maybe might have a hard time grasping some of what they're engulfed in and what they're trying to pick up and learn. And they just mm-hmm. don't know how to get to that next level. How important has mentorship been for you? And what does mm-hmm. that mean for someone out there that might not have tapped into mentorship yet? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the... So mentorship is is a little bit of a difficult one because it's it's got its 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 value, but it can also very easily become a crutch. Um, it can it can easily become a crutch in the sense of I can't achieve this till I find the right mentor, or you know the only reason I'm not succeeding in life is because this mentor just hasn't shown up, or you know I just need somebody to and and you know I, and I I know even that I'm I'm guilty of that at times, but maybe putting that 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 use case to the side for a while. I think one of the reasons why mentorship is so important, and especially for the the you know someone who might typically fall into your audience is it's one of the few things that can really change your perspective. You see, if you, if you think about a lot of the developmental relationships we have in our lives, a lot of them come with some kind of extra baggage. You know, if you think about your parents, it's always so hard, especially in the teenage years, to take advice from your parents because, you know, you're starting to gain your independence, starting to make a name for yourself. You want to do everything yourself. 
you know, if you think about like your manager, there's always a dynamic between the boss and the and the direct report. Like so, all of these relationships have got some other um, underlying narrative that make it hard to really take advice, especially if it's something that you, that 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 has got some kind of personal anchor, whether it's a specific difficulty or a trigger or whatever it might be, whatever it is that's keeping you in your funk. Yeah. The interesting thing, especially about a very a, a good mentor, is they almost don't have a horse in the race. And so any advice that they give you, it's like you can take it for face value or you can throw it away. And, and you know, no love is lost because really at the end of the day, a good mentor understands that the thing that's important is not that their advice was listened to. It's that the problem that you're facing gets solved. And so I think, especially if you're in a funk, a good thing to do is to look to the people who you see as your mentors and specifically try to... Um, uh, set up a conversation that can help to shift your mindset. Because I think that's one of the, the, the few things that a mentor can do that has reliable, positive results, just because yeah. they've, they've usually lived such a different life um, to you and can bring something valuable. You, you mentioned being, being a product designer. Um, and I mm-hmm. mentioned, I imagine that being a, a very creative field mm-hmm. to, to, to be in. How how did you land in into being a product designer? This was this something that you kind of like grew up growing up knew you wanted to do, or was this something that you're like, oh, thank God I found this? Yeah, it's, so it's 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 in some sense it's a bit of thank God I found this, but in another sense, I'd say I'm still not sure. I know I want to be a product designer, so it's somewhat hard to to to, yeah. to say. Um, so I mean, you know, I was trained. I was, I was training to be a software engineer. So I've always loved computers. Computers have always been my 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 thing because I'm a I'm a software product designer, not 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 hardware or physical goods. Um, <clears throat> but in my training, I I really struggled. So up in in in, in schooling, I I struggled quite a bit because I was dyslexic. I somehow you know, um, to my own shock and amazement, got a scholarship, an academic scholarship and proceeded to never perform well <laughs> all the way through high school. Um, and then in university, I started to find my stride a little bit more as a person, but academically, I was still absolutely terrible. Um, and so in my second attempt at second year, I, for some reason, decided to go and do some job shadowing. And so I went to one of the big biggest banks here in South Africa, um, called ABSA, and I went to see what what the the design team did. And you know, they were in the middle of the the process of rebranding the the bank, launching the new website. And for the first time, I got to actually really engage with with reality. And yeah. and I use that 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 word intentionally because a lot of what the modern education system is. Um, developed around is almost hypothetical. It's like, you know, you're going to write this test. And if you do well in this test, then it means that you passed your degree. And if you pass your degree, it means you know how to do this thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you actually look at most of the degrees that people hold and whether they actually firstly, or even practicing that discipline, let alone can do it competently, it's like, it, it's probably not even half. So if, if half of these degrees are not necessarily representative of reality, it means in that schooling time, you're kind of just almost like living in this Alice in, Alice in Wonderland daydream until you're faced with reality. And for a lot of people, it's a tough shift because, you know, they've performed so well at school. They've, they've gotten pretty used to doing well, having a, a good amount of time. They know where the books are, where the problems are that they need to go and research. It's all structured and they can kind of do very well in that structured environment. And then they enter the working world and it's like, nobody knows what, what needs to happen. Emails get sent in the middle of the day and everybody's confused. 
but I found it thriving in that, you know, that the, the aspect of myself that wasn't called out in, in schooling started to wake up. Mm. And I think, you know, I can remember during my, 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 um, my older brother's graduation for the first time, or well, for the first time, at least that I can recall realizing that I was never going to be on that stage, you know, getting the tap on the head, mm. but at the same time, no one would ever stand between me and my education. Mm. And from that moment, I, I began to educate myself through audiobooks are my main form of learning right now. And I think I'm at 250 books right now. Nice. And it's been, it's probably been about two, a decade and a half since I've read a physical book. Mm-hmm. But w- once that, once all of that other context was gone, I could just follow my interest. The books that interest me from religion to psychology to, you know, um, fantasy, high fantasy, old fantasy, like political history, all kinds of topics. I just kind of follow my interest. And at first it kind of just seemed sporadic. And in a sense, your interest is like that when it's underdeveloped. And especially when it's been lying fallow for so long, you know, you're in school for such a long time that you forget that you can be interested in academic things. Mm-hmm. It's like you start to equate everything relating to school with work and with being forced. But as soon as that's lifted, it's kind of like this burning thing inside you that wakes up and just wants to consume knowledge all the time. Yeah. And, and I think as soon as I realized that, I did everything I could to keep it going and still do today. I love that because um, I, I forgot who said it, but um, they talk about, you know, never let your schooling get in the way of your education. And it's almost as though, the schooling, it, it sucks out the curiosity and mm. prescribes the material. And instead yeah. of the prescribed material, we learn to shy away from the material. And I'm somebody who, mm. when I was in school, uh, after college, I didn't read a book for years. And then now people see the bookshelf behind me. They see <laughs> I'm I'm on audio. I'm on audible. I have the audio audio books on audible. And then I have like the hoopla for my library to get audio books. I'm like, I can't consume nice. them best enough because the, like you said, chasing the curiosity, love one of my favorite books, uh, two books. I'm almost finished with the second one, Sapiens and Homo Deus. Uh, it's uh, Noah Yuval Harari, who talks about the history of humankind. And it just goes from the beginning of time to mm. our modern age. And to go on that journey yeah. through audiobooks, I think of 17-year-old Ted or even mm. 20-year-old Ted and say, mm. hey, one of these days you're going to be extremely interested in the history of humankind. And I'm like, what? How, how have you found your curiosity blossom mm. over time once you took learning into your own hands? It's it's probably the thing that I'm the most dedicated to at this point in my life. You know, I'm I'm still a single man. I'm, you know, 28 years old. Hopefully one day that'll change. But I think at this point in my life, I think I've come to realize that it's the only thing that will bring reliable results in the physical world. Putting aside the, you know, deities and God and all of that, because, you know, that's discussion maybe for another day. But putting all of that to the side, I think the only thing that you can rely on consistently is your own personal development. Mm. Because it's the only thing, it's it's the only thing that has got um, what is the word? It's cumulative. You know, mm. like reading one book today, yes, that doesn't maybe nest that doesn't change your life that much. 
but reading one book every month, that starts to change your life significantly, right? It's like, it's almost like meeting a new friend every month. And that friend has been thinking about what he wants to speak to you for, for literally years of his life. He's been distilling this message, distilling it, distilling it until he creates this single idea or the single concept or body of work. And then he just delivers it to you. And it's like all of that research and preparation that he's done, you get to reap all of the fruits of that reward. And then when you start to think like that, you're like, I've got a lot of things in my head as well. You know, maybe I need to start distilling those thoughts and, and turning those ideas into a body of work that I could share. And that, I think, is where I really, for the first time, realized at some point in my life, although I may not necessarily be so keen on reading, I do want to write a book. Um, and especially once I stopped thinking of the written word as the only form of communication, that started to become a much bigger thing. And my interest in in, in exploring also really started to take off. I mean... I've, you know, listened to some books that are so obscure that I don't even know how to, how to explain them. <laughs> but then, you know, some, some of the, the books that have really allowed me to connect one, one that I actually do have to mention because I'm, I'm listening to it at the moment. Um, so as before we kind of went on air, I mentioned the fact that I'm living in South Africa, but my family's originally from Kenya. Mm-hmm. So one of the challenges I always had growing up was, you know, the, the whole foreigner situation. And over and above that, you know, I, I never learned the the local languages. So there was always a little bit of a, a separation between myself and the people in South Africa. Um, and then many, a, a couple of years ago, I picked up the Long Walk to Freedom for the first time. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, a lot of people know at, at least briefly about it, but it's a story of Nelson Mandela and the, the, the struggle against apartheid. And, you know, when I listened to it the first time, it, it, one of the really amazing things it did for me is it brought me a little bit closer to the South African culture and it helped me a little bit more to see that one of the interesting, really interesting things about Africans is they see themselves as one people, even when they are of different nationalities. Now there's the issue of tribalism, but I think, and especially after listening to that book, and this is specifically the context of South Africa is we were already breaking the boundaries of tribalism. Like we were already in that process. It was simply just a matter of time. And then colonialism kind of threw things into a tizzy. Mm-hmm. But if I look at the way things are starting to go now and how, you know, some of the political climates are changing, I think there's 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 change on the wind. There's change on the wind. And I think it's it's, it's especially evident. And it, it, it came clear when I was listening to this book that there's a lot of knowledge that's entrenched in African culture that's currently invisible because it has lived in the in, in the spoken word for so long. And for the past 10, 20, let's say 20 to 40 years, the written word has had such power from newspapers to the internet. Like the written word has been the only source that's reliably repeatable. Mm-hmm. But with some of these new technological advancements, you know, and I mean, podcasting is a great example of that. It's a first, it's almost like another Gutenberg revolution. For the first time, the spoken word has as much longevity as the written word. And so now all of these cultural elements that have never actually crossed the boundary into the written word about Africa suddenly has an opportunity to make another comeback. And all of that cultural value and, 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 you know, just latent potential is going to start seeping back into the culture and back, especially, I think, especially here in Africa, it's going to have a, a very good positive effect. 
Yeah, it's amazing to think, and I've referenced kind of the concept, amazing thing about podcasts and the YouTube channels and things that we can kind of record ourselves and who we are is, you know, in essence, my my great, great grandkids can meet me. They can literally, <laughs> they can meet me. They can just search me and listen to hours of me speak. And, and just to have that, it, it's, it's amazing. Mm. They can learn my flaws. Yeah. They can learn my mistakes. They can learn my successes and kind of, I mean, I've done hours upon hours of content. So they can literally have mm. my wins and losses documented and, and experience mm. that with me, which to your point is, is revolutionary in not only mm-hmm. how we share experiences, but how we share knowledge a- a- mm-hmm. as well. Um, how is dialogue in the concept in the concept of problem solving so valuable, right? Because we're talking mm-hmm. about the spoken word and the weight that it can ha- carry. You know, mm-hmm. there are so many things that we can solve when we sit down and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's. You know, it's something that you can take for granted so easily. You know, it's saying like, you know, the pen is mightier and the, mightier than the sword. Everyone will sort of not not their head at that, but deep inside they'll know. You know, if I'm in a fight, I'd rather have a sword than a pen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and you know, it's it's it, it's it's a fair thing to say. But I think you know, sort of re, um, rolling back to this book, The Long Walk to Freedom. I think it's really solidified my thinking on the point. You know, I've I've done a lot of research into. Um, different elements of dialogue from some of the psychological elements in our like our biological development and understanding how we engage with you know threats and and the fight or flight mechanism to delving into things like um, <clears throat> Socratic dialogue and how it kind of uh, evolved um, education and pedagogy. But I think one of the things that's been really interesting, especially over the last two years, because I've be, really been focusing on learning and education for the past two years and, and reading material on the topic, um, but specifically pe- real people's stories. And the two stories that I want to highlight, and they're both stories of people who spent time in prison. Mm-hmm. So the first is, is Nelson Mandela. Um, and I, I'll get to his story, but I want to tell the other story first. And that's a, a man named Shaka Sengo. And Shaka Sengo has an amazing story. So he was, he was, um, he was imprisoned around 14 for a murder that he committed. So um, he spent a significant amount of, Uh, time uh, of his life in prison. Fast forward many years, um, he eventually meets Ben Horowitz, very big Silicon Valley guy, um, a huge name for himself, and he gets mentioned in this book. And this book is about developing culture. And so um, it speaks about how Shaka Sengo eventually got to the top of the um, the gang that he was in. So it was the um, Melonics, I think they were called, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. But how he did it, so there was there was a specific dilemma that happened that one of the people in this gang was sort of being bullied slash stolen from by the, the upper people in the in the in the in the hierarchy. And so, you know, this was happening for a very long time. And you, you know, in these kinds of um relationships or groups where uh, morality is broken down, it's very easy. Sorry, one of the things that that consistently brings people together is somebody who can actually be a moral, a, a moral, um, kind of like compass or yeah, like someone to 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 create structure. That's that's actually yes. the, the the real thing. It's not actually about because when morality breaks down, people tend to then work on on agreements and structure, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so Shaka Zengor eventually, you know, learns um, uh, about that. But the thing that really starts to sh- shift the balance is this this gang essentially has a set of tenants. And one of the tenants is you can't violate your own members. But obviously, these leaders are stealing from a person in their member. And so he uses the Socratic dialogue as a technique to make clear the mistakes that they are making. Because, and it's especially relevant because one of their tenants is you can't harm another member, which means you can't even take over violently. So his approach to taking over was using Socratic dialogue. And this is something that worked in, you know, a maximum security prison among some of the people that are the hardest to converse with. Mm-hmm. And he was still able to create that change. And so he eventually turned his gang into um, a, a, a community development um, organization. And these people who are, you know, hardcore prisoners doing like real time, changed their lives, turned themselves around and started to become a positive influence on, you know, on the people around them. And so this is the first one. This is a person who did do the deed and eventually sort of rebuilt himself. And he's he's written two amazing books, which I'd highly recommend. Um, one is called Letters to the Sons of Society. I think especially for this audience, it'll be a very good one. If you've had a difficult experience in your life or you've gone through some challenges that the majority of the world wouldn't necessarily understand, I think that's a very, very good one. Um, and I can't remember what his second book is called. But Shaka Senghor, look him up, he's uh, an amazing guy. The yeah. second one is Nelson Mandela. And so his, his is specifically interesting to me because he walks through his life from, from childhood all the way up to the, you know, the, the, the later years of his life. And this idea of conversation keeps on coming in. So the first one he talks about, so Mandela was born as, a, well, pretty close to royalty. So he was, he was going to be a, um, an advisor to a king. That was a role sort of set set out for him. And so he got to see what what does an actual tribal chief do? What does it look like? And so how they used to govern themselves is you'd have the this um the chieftain and he would have what is called, and if I butcher any terms, I'm I'm sorry to the people here in South Africa, but they're called the Amapakati. And these are basically like a a a, 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 a council of um educated elders and well and well-respected people. And the way they, they would actually govern themselves is through extended discussion. So let's say a new law, uh, law is part, passed by the party government or there's a famine happening and the, you know, the people are at risk or anything significant is happening. He would send his letters out and all the people would gather together and they would have a meeting, a discussion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they prepare the food and anybody is allowed to speak from, you know, the youngest, lowliest person to the to the, the 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 tribal elders, everybody had a chance to put forward their thoughts, put forward their claims, and it would be presented, and they would make a decision as a tribe. And so this is something very interesting because you know I think America has become very famous for democracy, but I think this experience and this research from my side has made it clear that there were seeds of it everywhere and in different formats. And one of the really interesting things about this form of governance is that it never um it would never it would it was never majority rule and especially you know when you're working with a tribe or something like that you would think that the majority would be the one who kind of swayed but they realize that in a tribe and in a group it's actually usually the minority that will help you because what what a my minority almost implies is a niche it, it implies some sort of specialty, something that makes you different from the rest. And so when you've got a, a wide set of problems, you want more diversity. It's one of the reasons that humans are actually so diverse. 
mm-hmm. and especially in personality, because there's actually value in that. And if you can collaborate, what it ends up doing is those niches end up being sort of like a way for for the the, the community to resolve things that the average person can't. Yeah. And so by doing this, by allowing every single person to have a voice, you allow every single person's mind, their knowledge and their experience to be actually put against the problems that this village is facing. And you actually end up eventually end up having more sound and, and, and effective decisions because it allows you to actually allow people to use their niches rather than suppressing them and simply listening to what the majority says. Yeah, that's that's amazing how you just put that into perspective because so many of us go, oh, well, the majority is this, the majority of that is that, and you know, the majority <laughs> is not always right. And and early on in the podcast, we had I had an amazing guest who also mentioned that a lot of the change that happens through through history and in society was brought about by the not by by the minority. Mm-hmm. By the minor- I mean, minority, you know, has to identify this is a problem. <laughs> yeah, there were like a thousand Martin Luther Kings. It was just, it was just one of them. <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's how the change comes about moving forward because mm-hmm. you you almost have to have it's the loud minority that mm-hmm. addresses the issue that addresses the problem, and the magic mm-hmm. is when the majority can listen. And, mm-hmm. and that's what dialogue is. Dialogue mm-hmm. is not one person shouting and the next just kind of shrugging it off. It's actually the the amazing thing that you mentioned there is the the elders listening. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's where the magic happens, mm-hmm. right? And when we have mm-hmm. a mentor, you mentioned, okay, hey, the mentor doesn't have a dog in the fight, but they give you their <laughs> knowledge and whether you take it or not, it's up to you. But mm-hmm. where does the magic happen? It's in the listening. And mm-hmm. when we listen, mm-hmm. we let someone mm-hmm. impart their wisdom on us. So we let somebody have the permission to guide us a little bit, adjust our rudder a little bit. That's where the breakthrough can actually happen because we we get so yeah. locked into whether it be the ego, whether it be the confidence, whether it be self-centeredness, like we have this figured out. But if I lived my life mm-hmm. every day thinking I had it figured out, I would not be where I am today. Because I don't get to identify yeah. my blind spots. I don't get to identify my weakness, my flanks. That someone else who's been there before, who's experienced what I've experienced, can tell me, hey, don't do that. You might want to do this. And I've mentioned mm-hmm. how mentors, and I say it jokingly, but it's also true. It's, you know, I, I look for mentors that are going to save me money and prison time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Those are good mentors. Exactly. Save save me money in some prison time and and keep me on the straight and narrow because that's going to help me get to where I need to go. But it's it's, it's amazing how uh, really what's within us is there, but mentorship and the dialogue is is really what unlocks it. I'm interested Mm -hmm. for for you, how important has listening been? And what are Mm -hmm. some of the things that get unlocked when we're able to engage in such dialogue, maybe sit down in, um, in opinions that are opposite than ourselves. I think that's a huge Mm -hmm. sign of intelligence when somebody can sit down in an opinion that they might not necessarily agree with, but still understand the perspective and kind of let it simmer a little bit. How important has that been Mm -hmm. for your development in that listening and the engagement of that dialogue? Yeah. No, I think that's such an amazing question. And I think it's it's one of the things that's very interesting. And I'm actually going to take um add on a little bit to your question and then I'll yeah. answer both. And I'm going to speak a little bit about both speaking and listening. 
And there's an amazing book called How to Speak and How to Listen by Mortimer J. Adler. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic writer. Um, and he speaks about something very interesting, right? And I, I want to ask you ask you a quick question. Yeah. Um, would you say uh, would you say that it is difficult? Or actually, let me ask: Would you rather describe listening as a p- passive or active activity? Active for me, it very much active. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can I ask you something? Have you ever met somebody that's that's um, bad at listening? Yes. How do you actually tell a person that's bad at listening? How do you tell if a person is bad at listening? Usually um, something that I said is not necessarily addressed and the conversation ends up going in a direction that necessarily wasn't where I intended. I usually leave the conversation mm-hmm. feeling more empty or I haven't mm-hmm. been really felt that va- feeling validated yeah. in the process. Yeah. But would you agree that it's somewhat hard to tell when a person is bad at at, at listening until after the conversation? It kind of takes a little bit of time to really feel out that they're bad at listening. Yeah, it's usually afterwards, not in the moment. mm -hmm. So Mortimer Adler gives a great analogy, and it's kind of like a person throwing a pass. Like a conversation is like passing a ball, whether it's football or or, or, um, whatever it might be. But it's like when a person throws a ball it's clear that this person is doing an action and there's 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 skill in it but when we think about listening it's so easy to think about listening as simply having your ears open and you know the sound coming in and and you know you understand the words that are being said but when you think about a pass and a catch that's a lot more what listening is like because there is actually work done on the part of the listener when a person is sharing a story or sharing an idea and a good listener can re- can even improve on the quality of the conversation without actually speaking. Mm. Without saying anything, they can improve the quality of the conversation because it is like a pass and a, a, a throw and a catch. Like if you see a very good football player, like, you know, the one guy throws it and it's a good throw, but the amazing catch is what makes the moment whole. Yeah. It's that, it's that receiving of the catch. Because no matter how good the throw is, if you don't catch it, it doesn't matter it requires that second half to really participate. And I think listening is very much like that. And so we need to actually be able to um, not only hear the words and understand them, but also place them in the larger context of the content of the conversation being had. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, and I think especially with the way society is going right now, it's almost like we said, it doesn't matter what the context is. If you say this thing, you're a terrible human being. <laughs> And all it does is it, is, it, is it makes people who want to explore and willing to explore. And the people who wanted to offend are going to say it anyway. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, you know, the people that you're restricting are not the people you need to be restricting. The people that you're restricting are the ones who are, who are in unfamiliar territory. And yeah. I'm kind of going on an, a little bit of a tangent here, but, and to, to kind of circle back and why this is important is because once we realize that, learning is an, I mean, listening is an active um, engagement and it requires skill. The next question is, how do you actually become better at listening? It's like, it's not actually obvious how you do that because, because it seems like a passive activity. And one of the great ways that you can actually do that is um, an idea that was first presented by um, Roger, um, 
Carl Rogers, I think it is, the psychologist. And it's it's a thing, If for, for the married couples out there, you'll probably have heard this once or twice when you've had a bit of a fight. It's like when you're, when, when you're having an argument and you're in the middle of the heat and the fire and all of the emotions are bubbling, stop for a moment. And when your partner says something, repeat what they said back to them in words that they will accept. Yes. Right? And the reason that that's so important is it does three things. It's not actually about even the words that you say. One is it forces you to understand the context because you're not going to use the same words, which means you're going to need to add extra words and your own flavor on things to clearly communicate the message. So it forces you to, to not fall into a straw man habit and actually really think about the other person's perspective. Mm-hmm. The second and most important thing, and this is actually something that a mentor does, so this is ne- isn't necessarily even just in the context of a fight. It's that when a person repeats your thoughts to you, it helps you think your thoughts through. It's like when you're saying words, there's a part of you that's that's off because it's concentrating on saying the words. But when you're hearing the words back, that part of your mind is free. And you can actually then compare what you're hearing with how you're feeling inside. And when the person repeats something to you and it gives you a little bit of like a, you know, like you, you, you're not necessarily comfortable. It's a, it's a sign that there's something that even though that may have been what you said, it isn't what you meant or it isn't what you're feeling. And so going through this uh, process of, of, of speaking, and I'd say if that sort of repetitive process is actually a form of listening, even though you're using your words, mm-hmm. because it's, it's reiterating what they're saying to ensure that you're not only hearing the words, but you're understanding the meaning. Mm-hmm. And so Mortimer Adler calls this the meeting of minds. And it's one of the things that's in, in, absolutely necessary for effective dialogue. And when you can become good at that, then you can actually start to tap into the potential of the people around you. And your network no longer just becomes people who talk to you and spend time with you, but their knowledge actually gets added to your bank of artillery, essentially. Yeah, I, I have a good friend of mine and I'll give him a shout out, Julian Sador. We we work in the mornings together. He's my co-anchor. And we laugh because they keep saying like, you two need a podcast because mm. it will be the smallest thing. Like <laughs> I say something, and I, this was the longest mm. debate that we had. It was something small about, I was like, you know, these technology has with the suggested tipping has gotten a little out of control. And he's like, well, how so? People should read. And I'm like, yeah, but they don't have to put the 30%, 25%, 20%. And we go back and forth. Alfie, it was maybe like mm-hmm. a month of this, this dialogue back and forth. And then we're repeating what each other say. And we finally got to the point. It's like, yes, people should yeah. be responsible for what they tip and they should read. However, you don't have to take advantage of those people that don't because you know you can't. And like we, we finally got there by reworking, re-saying and, and saying what you said. Well, you said this. Did you mean it like that? Mm-hmm. But it's sometimes I feel like there's mm-hmm. a discomfort for people to sit in that. And both of me and him are very similar. We we, we love the uh, the mental jousting, we call it. Right. Like we we'll dissect and we'll debate mm-hmm. the most minute yeah. things. But, I call it mental sparring. Yeah, exactly. Mental sparring. Because and and here and the beautiful mm. thing is we don't have a dog in the fight. Like we don't care when it comes to tipping. We both agree. Yeah, we tip customary 20 percent. But while we're on this topic, let's go deep. Let's go ham because we are trying to find that solution. We enjoy mm. 
working this problem out. Hey, we see something differently here. We agree on tipping, but hold on. We see some some aspect of this differently. Mm. Why do we see it differently? Okay, wh- what do you mean by that? It, okay, I understand what mm-hmm. you're saying, but that kind of contradicts you to this. And then there ends up being, like you mentioned, the meeting of the minds where we come to an understanding and someone on the outside looking in says, I love how you guys respect each other's points. And it's not about shooting that point down. It's not about proving my mm-hmm. point over his. It's I, I see where you're coming from. I respect that. However, have you looked at it like this? Have you considered it like this? Almost like the wording mm-hmm. allows us to disagree gracefully. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that played yeah. into our growth? Because I think a lot of times what thwarts our learning, what thwarts our, our self-development is sometimes our our inability to be proven wrong, to be honest. Like we've we've spoken to each other and I've said, I was like, hey, Julian, mm-hmm. just so you know, you've changed my you've changed my positions on things. And that's huge. And I think that's a big compliment to give somebody, right? Like mm. where I once stood. That's I don't, amazing. I don't Especially from a friend. Yeah. Yeah. Talk more about that. How like, you know, mm. hey, change my positioning on things. How, mm. man, how beautiful that could be. Yeah. So I, I think when, when facing this, this, this question, we first have to pay credence to the other side, because I think it's, it's easy, especially for, especially the more gregarious type of person and the person who enjoys the intellectual sparring and so on. It's easy to sort of think like, you know, everybody should be like us and everyone should just be able to, you know, like have these conversations and feel easy with their boundaries sort of, you know, being so fluid. But the, the honest truth is there's a reason why people don't naturally want to do that. And it's because every time somebody changes your mind, a piece of you dies. Like that part that believed the wrong thing, it has to die. Yeah. And, you know, when it's something as simple as is, is, is tipping ethical or not, you know, it's like, that's a very, like, that's, that's not really a significant part of your, you or who you are. But when the question, for example, is like, does God exist? It's like your answer on that changes the way you're going to behave for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't just change your mind willy nilly. Otherwise, you'll have no structure to your life. Or maybe, you know, that that can be a little bit of a, a, um, a difficult um, example for some people. So maybe something um, a little bit more practical might be is, is it good to work a lot? You know, there's there's the, there's the conversation to be made about, you know, providing for your family. And there's a conversation to be made about overworking and burnout and the difficulty of, of and, and the problems that come with not spending enough time for your family. And it's like, you don't want to just be changing your mind all the time about that because people rely on you. There are people who, you know, you need to provide food for and you need to be the source of structure. So you can't just decide, oh, today working is not that important. <laughs> I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to relax because it's got, it's got, it's got a real effect. Yeah. And so the way we as humans and the thing that really separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom have come to deal with this challenge is using our words and letting our words and thoughts die and letting ourselves live on Mm -hmm. because we, we bring these ideas into being through our imagination. And in this meaning of mind, we set out a context and, and, and a hypothetical reality of the world. And we talk through it. And then you tell me about how my hypothetical reality of the world is flawed and how your experiences in the real world and the diversity between us 
it allows you to see an element of things that I don't see. And then I can make my picture a little bit clearer and a little bit better of a representation of reality, right? And then that old representation of reality has to die, right? That's the piece of me that's going away. But the thing that's really important and why this discourse is so valuable is I get to replace it with a piece of you that was better than the piece of me. And so in this discourse, we actually start to share parts of ourselves through our knowledge. And by the end of it, we both come out smarter than we were when we came in. And like reading, it's got a cumulative effect. And so the more you speak to people that are different from you, the more you can cut away the broken parts of yourself and the, the parts that are inaccurate and replace them with the parts of other people that are more valuable than what you've got at the begin at, at, at this point in time. And I think this is this is you know, instantiated in so many different parts of society. I mean, legal legal procedure in so many parts of the world is based on discourse. Like a legal, a lawsuit is a process of conversation. You're mm -hmm. being judged by your peers, a jury of peers, and they listen to what's being said. And that's what they take into account. Like, isn't that strange? You would think like we've gone all the way from weapons and war to a conversation. It's like, why do we rely on conversations? Because they are the thing that most reliably improve us for the better. I love that. I love that. Alfie, I, I, honestly, this could be a two, three hour long <laughs> podcast because I'm loving uh, the conversation. Um, but as we're coming to the end, um, how would you advise a younger self? How would you advise someone um, maybe you could see a few years behind maybe they're kind of just graduating from school or they're they're looking to figure out where they go in life and they're trying to find their potential or they're trying to find the path what would you advise them to find mm -hmm. growth knowledge uh maybe find mentorship and and eventually hopefully some fulfillment in life mm -hmm. So I'd say that there are there are two parts that I'd like to talk a little bit about. And this is something that I like to do in a lot of my talks, a little bit of an exper experiential element. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of imagining for me. Mm -hmm. And for those listening, please try to do this as well. If you need to close your eyes, do so. Um, but I'd like you to think backwards. Take a little bit of a deep breath first. And think back to the last time that you didn't have to go to work whether it was a weekend, whether it was a public holiday, whatever it might be, the last time you kind of woke up and didn't have to get to anything right away. And, you know, maybe you woke up a little bit and you thought about the world. Now, I have a question at this point in time. Imagine yourself in that position, wherever it is that you were, you know, whether it was calm or maybe a little bit stressful, like the world that you think about at that time, do you think that it is a dark place? Are you seeing the darkness and the challenges of the world? Are you seeing a light place, a place where there's joy, where there's potential for, for good? Light. Light, and I'd light. like to speak to, I'd like to speak to both because I think both are, re, are a reality of the world. Mm. For those who are seeing the darkness, one of the most important things to know is that the darkness is the path forward. Because it's in the darkness that we get to know ourselves. In the in some of the folklore around King Arthur, they used to say that when the Knights of the Round Table went to go and find the Holy Grail, 
each knight went into the part of the forest that looked darkest to themselves because it's in that darkness that the treasure is found. And if what you see is the light, if what you see is potential, what you see is goodness, it is our responsibility to ensure that those that see the darkness make it through to the light. Mm. And so I think what we can each do is look at our own lives and see how we can dedicate those lives to achieving one of those two things. Facing that darkness and finding something meaningful and worthwhile or spreading that light to those that need it. Mm. That's amazing. That's amazing. Alfie, Olo, this has been nothing short uh, of phenomenal. Um, I, I want to make sure that that our audience can 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 follow you, connect with you, whether they see the darkness mm-hmm. or whether they see the light. I, I would love them to see some more of your content. And, and how can mm-hmm. they do that? How can they follow and, and get your links? Yeah, so you can find me on um, Instagram, on YouTube. I've I've got a podcast, Edit Undo, where I speak about a couple of different creative things. But I'd say the place that I'd actually like you to, to engage with me is directly on either of the platforms, Alfi, A-L-F-I dot O-L-O-O. That's on LinkedIn or Instagram. Um, but the, the thing that I'd like you to do is have, I, I did a TEDx talk pretty recently about education. And for all of the people who are interested specifically in education and mentorship and in learning, I would like some questions, some thoughts, and to hear a little bit about what the rest of the world is doing on in this domain, because it is a huge problem that I think the whole world is facing. And I think only by bringing our minds together can we really resolve it. I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I'll, I'm, I'll have those links and in, in the socials and the show notes for folks to kind of uh, directly go through that. Um, the last question, um, and it's usually the heaviest one, even though this was a great conversation mm-hmm. that we went deep. So I, I feel like you're not going to have any problems with this question. Um, but what is something that you've seen or something that's happened to you in your life that shapes the way you view the world as a man? I've got I've got an answer that people like to hear. <laughs> so I'm going to use that one mm-hmm. because it's 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 a it was a very interesting. So in in around 2008 I was still pretty young at the time and my family went on holiday to Kenya because as I mentioned my family is originally from there. <clears throat> and for those of you who are familiar with the area or with African politics it was a time of extreme rioting and and there was election tampering um and the, the country kind of shut down for for a while and you know i mean i was a 12 year old kid in the middle of a, a full-scale protest as in bricks flying through windows shops and, and um empty with like no food on the shelves um and fortunately at the time i was still a little bit too young to really understand what was happening but I think the thing that really struck me was the way my mom and dad dealt with it. Mm. Because that that was a, I, I wouldn't call it life and death because I wouldn't say our life was actually imminently threatened, but the general city was a threatening space. And watching the way that they dealt with it, dealing with the fact that, you know, we were staying with my, in my uncle in this flat 
as like, you know, six people coming to visit and he's a bachelor. So it's like, you know, food isn't going to stretch that far. We need to leave some food for him. All of the planes are grounded. It's like nothing is really going right. And they, my parents didn't falter. Like that, that, that sort of connection between them, I think is something that I've like, I think that was the, the point that it became clear to me. And since then, it's been something that I've always been pursuing because I've yet to find something stronger than that. Mm, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Alfie, thank you so much for, for your time today. I know being in, in South Africa, it's uh, kind of towards the end of your day. It's the afternoon over here. So we, I appreciate mm -hmm. you staying up late with us. Um, I, I'm going to be sure to have everything in the show notes and, and all your links for folks to follow you and engage with your podcast as well. And, and, and really quick, I'm going to recap some of the topics and some of the things that we touched on throughout the episode, because I, I know a lot of folks listen. They're probably running, working out, or they don't have a pen and pencil ready. But mentorship, it could be crucial or it could be a crutch. We started off with how, you know, we might think we can't get here until we have a mentor. And that could work more as a crutch than actually could be the unlocking factor for our potential. And then the good thing about having a mentor is they don't really have the, a horse in the race. So because of that, we're more inclined to listen to what they have to say, which we'll be talking about that in, in a little bit. But then schooling versus reality, how schooling can get in the way of our education and a lot of folks getting a degree and then not practicing that degree in the real world. So is schooling really preparing us for the real world or is it maybe just a box that we check before entering you know, this reality that we then have to learn the skills? Personal development yields real results in life when we really lean into that personal development we choose to educate ourselves and follow what gives us uh the spark that curiosity within us we can then find that that the the potential and the fulfillment within ourselves and then longevity of the spoken word the fact that we talked about how this podcast this conversation right now our great grandkids can listen to this dialogue and learn about us and learn about our successes our failures and the minority is usually the ones that help in the group the importance of socratic dialogue as you mentioned right that important mm -hmm. dialogue for growth for change and then even having the ability to listen how to speak and how to listen the book recommendation also letters to the sons of society the long walk to freedom a lot of book recommendations that you guys have to check out in the show notes and then work done on the part of the listener a throw could be great mm -hmm. though a person talking can have an amazing throw but without the catch it doesn't land so you need to have the listener work just as hard and it's not about the words you say when you're listening it usually it's also the intention behind it really what's being meant in the context of those words and the meetings of the minds helping to yield the change in life and a piece of you dies when you're changing your mind that was beautiful that's something that we have to understand and something that we could adopt and absorb when we listen to other people and get different perspectives how we can grow and also kind of kill some of those parts of ourselves. And then words and thoughts can die, but we ourselves live on. This has been an amazing conversation. Alfie, thank you again for the time, brother. Thank you so much, Ted. This has been so great. I really enjoyed myself. Myself too. And, and to, to the listeners, thank you for making it to the end. If you enjoyed this, you already know what I'm going to ask. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. And of course, leave us a rating. We would love to know how we're doing. That's a great way you can help the podcast out. And even better, 
you can share this with a friend that you think would also get value from it. That's the biggest compliment you can give us. So please go ahead and share this with someone that you also know will enjoy this content. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for making it to the end. And as we always say, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow. Let's get past the day. I think we're gonna do a great job.